The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I'm just glad that you're listening with us today. Thank you for joining us. We know we've got listeners from across the United States, uh, uh, Canada, uh, across the ocean, and we got some folks in Europe and um, even some folks in the Pacific, so we're very glad that you're with us today. We uh, love getting your comments via our Spirit of Recovery Facebook page and uh, through our email. Thanks a lot for participating. We know that you're uh, always telling your friends and people in your recovery community as well about the Spirit of Recovery, and it's just great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery here on Unity Online Radio. We just love um, hearing from you. Every week we do have, excuse me, have topics that are important to the recovery community. <clears throat> Our guests are down to earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. They're people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. And they're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can always listen to our archives at www.unity.fm backslash program, backslash spirit of recovery. You can listen to those 24-7 through your computer or through your smartphone or other mobile listening uh, devices. And you can also always see us on our Facebook page. We want you to know that the spirit of recovery is indeed a welcoming place. That if you're a person who's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or you're the family member or a friend of somebody that has a disease of addiction or you're just curious about the recovery process, you're very welcome here. We'd love to have you listen and participate in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and a Recovery Counselor. I'm also a person who has in my circle of love and friendship many people with a disease of addiction. And uh, many years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth on spiritual development, and ever since then, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that keeps me transforming my life and growing in deeper and deeper ways. So again, I'm very grateful that you're listening with us today, glad to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you. Today, our topic is spiritual depth, what the early AAs knew and why it matters to us today, and I'll add uh, whether or not you're someone that's in recovery from the disease of alcoholism or other uh, chemical addiction or whether you're a family member or whoever you are. Of course, we know that the roots of the um, recovery process, the spiritual roots, are Pollock's Anonymous. So this is definitely relevant to everybody who's interested in recovery. Um, my Dick, uh, my uh, guest today is Dick B. Dick is... Uh, uh, going to share with us some very interesting ideas. He is an AA historian of, of the roots of the um, Alcoholics Anonymous. He's also a leader in the Christian recovery movement. 
and Dick knows uh, he's done so much study and also uh, put it to very practical use to share with people um, all over about the deep spirituality of early recovery movement. Uh, Dick is the author of over uh, way over 46 publications. Those are just uh, the books and so forth, but he's got lots and lots of articles. He is a regular uh, speaker and presenter at conferences and workshops talking about this early history and how uh, the spirituality of the recovery process developed. He also is an addictions counselor, and he is himself a recovering person. He's going to talk with us today about how the 12-step programs grew out of desperation and um, how that gift of despair uh, made them delve into some spiritual practices that uh, brought them uh, real, more than relief, brought them real, real recovery and how dedicated they were and uh, what we can learn today from that dedication and from that willingness. So, Dick, thank you for being with us today on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, uh, Anna, for that gracious uh, introduction and explanation of what your program is and what you do. I'd like to start out. I sent you some notes, but I think I'm going to start at the end of them instead of the beginning by saying this. Uh, Our 22 years of research has convinced us that there is today a new era of AA history and that it's accompanied by a growing Christian recovery movement. It's Mm -hmm. grounded on these historical facts. First, the Christian sources of AIA ideas from the 1850s onward. Now, most people don't know that. They don't realize uh, the actual sources of AIA ideas because today the program has much changed from what what it was in the 1850s before AA and even in the beginning in Akron in 1935. This material from the uh, Christian organizations and people, which I'll discuss briefly, uh, led to the Christian upbringing of AA's co-founders, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob. Both of them were born and raised in Vermont, and they uh, had a great deal of exposure to Christian churches, Bible studies, prayer meetings, and conversions, and so on. And the original Christian program in Akron stressed abstaining from all liquor, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, endeavoring to live love and eliminate sins, growing in understanding, and helping others to get well. Now, was that the Oxford Movement program, or was that after it it started in AA with Dr. Bob? Uh, it's before, and okay. I'll get to that, but I'm glad you put it in those terms because what happened was that uh, in the 1850s, the Salvation Army, the Rescue Missions, the YMCA, the Great Evangelist, uh, Dwight Moody, Moody F.B. Meyer, uh, Alan uh, Folger, uh, were t- helping drunks long before AA and long before the Oxford Group. And it was in that period that Dr. Bob and Bill grew up in Vermont. And so they got their exposure to those ideas, plus the many, which I'll mention shortly, uh, that they received in their congregational churches, uh, in their academies, from the YMCA, and so on. Mm-hmm. So when it came time, uh, when they, the two men finally decided that, that it was time to, as you put it, uh, get out of desperation and into recovery, they established, and I won't go into the details because it's too long for this morning, but they established a very simple program in Akron, and it was not Oxford Group. It was not 12 Steps. There was no big book. There were no drunkologues. It was very simple, and as I'll mention shortly, it came largely from the ideas of the United Christian Endeavor Society, which is a worldwide organization founded in in Maine in uh, 1881 and grew to a membership of four, four and a half million. And the program that was adopted in Akron by Bob and Bill, after they both had turned to God for help and been healed, stressed abstaining from all liquor, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, endeavoring to live love, and so on. Now, that had nothing to do with the 12 steps or the big book because they didn't exist. 
right. he's managed simply fashioned a program. But what has come to light uh, in our more recent investigations is how much these simple principles fit very well, even in present-day conference-approved literature suggestions. In other words, the bottom line is applying the old-school AA ideas today to enhance recovery, enhance one's fellowship with God, and give love and service to God and others. Now, for what it's worth, here's a summary right out of AA's conference-approved literature on page 131 of Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, and I would venture to say that practically no AAs today know what the original program was, but it's laid out in their, their own literature in the following summary. First, an alcoholic must realize that he is an alcoholic, incurable from a medical viewpoint, and that he must never drink anything with alcohol in it. Two, he must surrender himself absolutely to God, realizing that in himself there is no hope. And there comes the desperation idea that you were mentioning. Three, not only must he want to stop drinking permanently, he must remove from his life other sins, such as hatred, adultery, and others which frequently accompany alcoholism. Unless he will do this, absolutely. Smith, that's Dr. Bob, and his associates refuse to work with him. Number four would be a special interest to your people because it has to do with growth. And four was he must have devotions every morning, a quiet time of prayer and some reading from the Bible and other religious literature. Unless this is faithfully followed, there's grave danger of backsliding. Five, he must be willing to help other alcoholics get straightened out. This throws up a protective barrier and strengthens his own willpower and convictions. Six, it is important but not vital that he meet frequently with other reformed alcoholics and form both a social and religious comradeship. And finally, important but not vital that he attend some religious service at least once weekly. Now there has grown up in the recovery movement a broad secular attitude uh, which more or less tosses God and, and anything but a, uh, a strangely defined spirituality uh, uh, in favor of that. And the fact is that the early program was not based on steps. It was based on quitting drinking, turning to God for help, growing in your understanding of God, and then passing that on. That's important because that was the technique that the Salvation Army was using, the rescue missions were using, the YMCA was using. And so it's, it's that basic thesis that led to the successes of early AA. And those successes were astonishing. They were 75% documented uh, recoveries in the Cleveland program, and then when the big book did come out, and I'll get to that shortly, uh, it was brought to Cleveland by Clarence Snyder, and there AA grew from, grew from one group to 30 in a year and had a 93% documented success rate. Uh, this is something that was unheard of in the recovery community, and the difference in Cleveland was that they brought with them from Akron the Bible, the four absolutes, honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love from the Oxford group and the big book and the 12 steps and most of the old program. Mm -hmm. And the old program involved accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. It involved hospitalization. It involved qualifying somebody as serious. And that's a program which is almost a... a um, model for what could happen today if people would focus on what the history is and how successful it is. Now, I'd like to speak a moment because I know of your interest in, in New Thought and Unity, right. and that is this. In the early days, Dr. Bob had a wide variety of interests in Christian books, certainly including the Bible, and many on prayer, healing, Jesus Christ, quiet time, and new thought. 
the interest of all the early A's also became the life-changing aspects of the Oxford group. And finally, most of the earliest ones read all the Oxford groups and many by the Oxford group leader, Reverend Sam Shoemaker. Now, in the, uh, there was no attempt, as there is today, to censor what people could discuss or what they could read. Dr. Bob used to circulate uh, books among members. In fact, he'd keep a roster and he'd say, now I'm going to recommend that you read this book and I want you to bring it back to me and when you do, there'll be a question. <laughs> and the very first book that I discovered, uh, the rumor was that Dr. Bob had given all of his <coughs> Christian and religious books away. Not so. So when I went back to Akron way back in 1990, I met with his doc, his daughter, and I said, "Did anybody? Uh, did your father ever mention born again?" She said, "Oh yes," and she said, "Just a minute." So she went up to her attic, and she came down with a book by Emmett Fox called "You Must Be Born Again," mm-hmm. and it had Doctor Bob's name in it, and it said, "Please return," and it had his address. And I said, "For goodness' sakes, are there more like this?" And she said, I have a whole attic full of these books. And also, my brother Smitty down in Texas has the other half of of, uh, my father's library. So the next, she made a list of those books, and so did the son in Texas. But I came back the next year, and I got into that attic. And here's what I found in the New Thought and Unity field. And... Please pardon me if some of these don't qualify as unity people, but I think <laughs> acknowledge they do. Yeah, the first we're proud of by Charles and Cora Fillmore and Myrtle Fillmore teaches to pray and Christian healing. Now, right. those were the two immense interests of Dr. Bob, healing and prayer. Then there was another book by James Allen, As a Man Thinketh mm-hmm. and Heavenly Life. And then, of course, the great book by Henry Drummond, The Greatest Thing in the World, a treatise on 1 Corinthians 13. Mm -hmm. William James, who knows what he was, but he certainly wrote a a great deal about new thought and was thought of as a new thought writer in his varieties of religious experience. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps the first use of this strange word, higher power, came from Ralph Waldo Trine, and he wrote uh, In Tune with the Infinite and also The Man Who Knew. And then when I got into the Emmett Fox books that Dr. Bob owned, there was the Sermon on the Mount, Find and Use Your Inner Power, Power Through Constructive Thinking, Alter Your Life, Getting Results by Prayer, You Must Be Born Again, The Great Adventure, and Your Heart's Desire. Now, uh, one has to be careful because... Uh, writers are quick to seize on the easy, softer way of saying, well, AA came from the Oxford group. It didn't. Or, well, AA is based on new thought. It wasn't. Or AA, uh, we never used the Bible. People who (laughs) read the Bible got drunk, which is also nonsense. The fact is that there was a very broad-minded, intensive search attitude on the parts of early AA, particularly its teachers, Dr. Bob's wife, Ann Smith, wrote a journal in which she recommended books, and she taught both the alcoholics and you might call them the Al-Anons or the codependents how to deal with drunks. And she quoted all kinds of literature that uh, answered these questions about prayer and healing and the Bible and quiet time and so on. Now, um, as I said before, the original seven-point Akron program was very simple. It Hold wasn't that thought, a- Dick. It's time for our first break. Um, listeners, our topic is what the early AAs knew and why it matters to us today. My guest is Dick B. We're going to take a short break and be right back.
that everything happens for a reason. We've all experienced situations which felt like anything but good. We may have lost our job or gone through a divorce or experienced some other dark night of the soul. Yet those very experiences, when met spiritually, can lead us to a much greater good. The lost job can be what finally motivates us to discover the work that truly feeds our soul. The ending of a marriage can trigger us to do the emotional healing and personal growth work we've been avoiding for years. Every one of us can look back at negative or painful experiences in our lives and say that they turned out to be the best, worst things that ever happened to us. For more insight from Wendy Craig Purcell, read Ask Yourself This from Unity House Books. If you're focused on getting the right answers, Ask Yourself This emphasizes the importance of asking the right questions. Order your copy today at www.unity.org. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm slash cruise. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. If you're just joining us, our topic is spiritual depth, what the early AAs knew and why it matters to us today. We're talking about how intensively uh, seeking those early members of Alcoholics Anonymous were, how they were willing to be open-minded and search and also to go into depth um, in their spiritual quest to find sobriety and a good quality of life. My guest is Dick B. Dick is a recovering person. He's a speaker. He's a, a recovery counselor, and he's the author of over 48 published titles and innumerable articles um, on the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and its spiritual roots. Um, he is also hosts the AA History Show on www.take12radio, and that's T-A-K-E, the number 12, radio.com. So you can hear Dick on there and listen to his archives. And also he um, has uh, weekly interviews on another um, online station, www.christianrecoveryradio.com. Also, you can visit... Uh, www.dickb.com to learn more about the many publications that Dick has, and he'll be um, here uh, in the in the mainland U.S. and doing some great workshops and some history uh, informational type of seminars uh, this fall. So you can look on dickb.com to find out uh, where he'll be in a, in um, this fall. Dick is a an AA historian and a leader in the Christian recovery movement. But before Dick and I get back to our conversation, I invite you to join me in a brief serenity minute, just an opportunity to open up to that presence of our higher power within us and around us. So I invite you to relax and share with me this constructive idea. I know that God is with me. The power of God expresses wholeness and well-being in my life. I know that God is with me. The power of God expresses wholeness and well-being in my life. 
Thank you, friends, for joining me there in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that uh, you do take some time every day to allow yourself to become quiet and hear that presence of God that is with you and within you. And so now I'm back to my conversation with Dick B. about spiritual depth, what the early AAs knew, and why it matters to us. So, Dick, before the break, uh, you were sharing with us what intensive spiritual seekers those early members of Alcoholics Anonymous were. You were giving us a lot of uh, different titles that Dr. Bob and his uh, wife, Annie uh, Smith, there had in her library and how she was teaching and Tell us more about that, what she had and what they were, they were looking hard, weren't they? They were willing. They were willing to do whatever it took. Yes, they were. And I'd like to uh, uh, leave your uh, listeners, I'm not ready to leave them yet, but I want to leave them with one very important, simple pamphlet that's put out by AA today. We know from experience all over the country how few people know of this pamphlet But it's critical because in it, Dr. Bob says that in the beginning, they had no 12 steps, they had no big book, they had no drunkologues, and the uh, meetings were not as we know them today. Now, he says that along with Bill Wilson in this important pamphlet. I'll simplify it by calling it Pamphlet P53, but its real title is The Co-Founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, biographical sketches, their last major talks. And in that simple pamphlet, Dr. Bob said, we felt that the answer to our problems was in the good book. And he said the parts we considered absolutely essential were the following. The book of James, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew chapters 5 to 7, and 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if your listeners leave with no greater understanding of what AA was like, can be like, and can utilize today. It's those statements in that pamphlet by Dr. Bob, uh, not by him, of his last major speech in 1948. Now, Bill also gave a last major speech later on, and in it he pointed out that Dr. Bob had helped over 5,000 drunks and said, no, this probably will never be accomplished again. Dr. Bob is, in truth, the prince of all 12th steppers. Now, that means that it's critical. If somebody really wants to know how and why the early AAs got well, what they used as their frontispiece, they need to see this pamphlet, The Co-Founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, Biographical Sketches, Their Last Major Talks. This is these two co-founders in the closing days of their sobriety telling it as it was. And they pointed out that the book of James, and you can find quotations from James throughout the big book, uh, it's everywhere. Faith without works is dead, uh, and so on. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount under, it was called by both Bob and Bill the underlying spiritual philosophy of AA. And finally, 1 Corinthians 13, the so-called love chapter, is the one uh, about which Henry Drummond wrote his very famous book, The Greatest Thing in the World, Love. And so those were the heart of it. And interestingly, some of your New Thought materials uh, focus on that very point. They focus on uh, on the Sermon on the Mount and uh, on the new birth, and on prayer, and on healing. So I wanted to be sure I got that in because it's something that's uh, very little known and a simple way to find out what AA was and is and can be uh, and can be applied today. Now, right. the early percent... Go ahead. Now, that's it. So, yeah, tell us tell us more about that, how, how, that, how it can be applied today like what were some of what did they do okay uh that's very important because uh i began to run across the statement uh aa was very much like first century christianity as practiced in the book of acts i was told as a young man that i should read the book of acts and of course i knew everything and never got around to reading it but i certainly have since 
And here's what the early AAs did, which is exactly the type of thing the apostles were doing in first century Christianity. They were holding daily meetings. They were doing Bible study. Now, the early Christians were listening to the doctrine as it was laid down by the eyewitness apostles, but it was still a study of God's word. And the third thing was daily prayer meetings, daily quiet time. And then they didn't have devotionals in the first century, but people used those. I think uh, the Unity has one called uh, Daily Something or Another. Daily Uh, Word. Yeah. And so those things were used intensely and with an open, uh, an open attitude about what they could read. Some of them read the Upper Room, which was a Methodist book. Some of them read the Runner's Bible. Some of them read Glenn Clark's materials. Uh, some of them read uh, Daily Strength for Daily Needs. And so they didn't just focus on one item that was canned by somebody. These were studies of Bible verses for growth. Then, the second thing that they insisted on, everyone who came into AA was required to confess that he believed in God. And then, he was required to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and come to God, uh, to a relationship with God in that way. The other thing is that they were required to be hospitalized. Now, nobody did that for me when I came into AA. I came in jolly and uh, happy and so forth, and then I began to sweat, and I had three grand mal seizures, and people were saying, you need some orange juice and honey. And thank goodness I pulled over in a meeting, and a nurse said, he doesn't need orange juice and honey or a meeting. He needs an ambulance. Get him to the hospital immediately. That didn't happen in early AA because the first stop was the hospital. And it was there that Dr. Bob read the Bible with the newcomer and led him to Christ just before he was discharged. Ann Smith wrote in her journal, the main source book of all should be the Bible. Not a day should pass without reading it. And then came spiritual growth through Christian reading. And that's why all of those New Thought and the many other books that are mentioned, and I'll cover that a little bit later, those were all up for grabs, for free, for reading, for seeking, for learning, for passing along. And then there was an emphasis on the first century Christian idea of daily fellowship. Early AAs knew each other's phone numbers and addresses. They broke bread together just as the apostles did. They met daily. They met in the homes. And uh, uh, the early AAs uh, uh, were taught that they should go to a religious service. It was not required at least once weekly. So when you hear somebody in in recovery, whether it's treatment or a 12-step program, say today, you can't talk about the Bible or God or Jesus Christ or you can't bring that book into the room because it's not conference approved, it's pure nonsense. And the way you know that is to read what the early AAs did. And what they did is they had daily teachings. And this gets to something that I think would interest all of your people. Dr. Bob's wife, who had been a teacher and was a Bible student, every single morning had a quiet time at the Smith home. And not only AAs, but their wives and families and kids came there. And she would share with them from the Bible. There would be group prayer seeking of God's guidance, and she would share from, uh, from her personal journal. And the personal journal, journal, in that case, does cover a number of Oxford Group ideas, such as an inventory, confession of faults, restitution. And Anne was sharing all that with people uh, every day at the Smith home. And then there was this regular circulation of Christian books by Bob and by Anne, and by Henrietta Cyberling. Now, in fairness, the early AAs did have one weekly regular meeting at the home of T. Henry Williams, because it was in that little group that Dr. Bob first confessed that he was an alcoholic and was asked by Mrs. Cyberling, do you want to pray? And he said yes. And they all dropped to the floor and prayed for his deliverance, 
And the miracle was that three weeks later, Bill Wilson, a total stranger, showed up and said, I'm looking for a drunk to help. And if you can't see the work of the Father in that incident, uh, you're, you're not listening carefully. That was the answer to Dr. Bob's prayer, he felt. Now, what Bill Wilson later extrapolated, four years later, when he wrote the big book, he got from Dr. Carl Jung, who basically said people needed, uh, not needed, one option for people was to have what he called a vital religious experience. And Bill's concept of early AA was built on that one idea. You must have a vital religious experience. And Bill had what he called one in Towns Hospital when he cried out to God for help, felt the presence of the Spirit, said uh, almost out loud, Bill, you're a free man. This is the God of the Scriptures. Bill also added in some William James ideas about finding God, and he did not write up the fact that Dr. Silkworth said the great physician Bill can heal you, can cure you. And that became the basis for Bill's going to the Calvary Rescue Mission and accepting Christ and writing that he'd been born again. And then Bill sat down with Reverend Sam Shoemaker, and they went over the Oxford Group ideas. Now, this is in preparation for the big book of 1939, not the original program. And you can find Sam Shoemaker and Oxford Group language in just every one of the 12 steps. So that's where the myth that AA came from the Oxford Group really began, and it has some substance to it, in that four years after AA was formed, Bill set about fashioning a new program. And essentially, it was based on Silkworth's idea, you have to hit bottom. You have to be in desperation. You have to be medically incurable, and Jesus Christ can cure you. But they left out the last part. And then the Oxford Group had its life-changing program of making a decision, of making an inventory, of confessing your faults, of asking God to remove them, of making restitution, and then doing those things on a daily basis. Now, is that consistent with early AA? Of course it is. If you leave out the idea of choosing your own conception of a God, which can be a chair or a tree or the Big Dipper, you have the same basic ideas that are acceptable. And the big book language today is compatible with that. Now, there were definitely the writings of New Thought authors that were read particularly by Bill and also by Bob. James Allen, Henry Drummond, the Fillmores, Fox, James, Norman Vincent Peale, Ralph Waldo Trine, Mary Baker Eddy, Horatio L. Dresser, Ellie Cady, Glenn Clark, and F.L. Rawson. Now, people might argue over which one was a, <laughs> a new thought or, or not, but that was the general uh, situation on that. Now, right. we, they went to see, didn't it, the New York uh, people would go hear him at Fox Speak, didn't they? That's what I've always heard. Is that true? That I don't know, him? but I have no reason to doubt it. I would say the important thing is to, re- to always ask when. When did they go hear Emmett Fox? And the answer, I would suspect, is nothing was going on in New York that amounted to anything until after the big book came out in 39. Now, Fox had been teaching and writing before then, and Dr. Bob had been reading his materials, but uh, did people in New York after that, after the 12 steps, after they could see some of the new thought ideas in the big book, did they go to hear Emmett Fox? I don't know. But I'm familiar with the, uh, with the uh, rumor that you've mentioned, that uh, Bill had a secretary whose mother went to see Emmett Fox and others traipsed down there and heard him. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I am much more inclined to look... Or, uh, for or accurate information, which is that all of these authors okay. were mentioned. And we're going to have to take our break. Hang, hang on to that thought. We've got to take our break right now. Uh, our topic is what the AA is new and what matters to us today. And my guest is Dick B. We'll be right back. 
wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin, on healthy living. In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life. In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's Seven Habits for a Healthy Life. I've got to say my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by being convicted that you will do it. That you don't need anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order wellness on a shoestring today at www.shopunity.org. Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your host, Dale Worley, is alive with the Spirit of God each Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're very glad that you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is spiritual depth, what the early AAs knew and why it matters to us today. My guest is Dick B. Dick is an AA historian. He's a a recovery counselor. He's an author of many, many published titles on the history and spiritual roots of AA. He's also a talk radio host on Take12Radio.com and uh, ChristianRecoveryRadio.com. And he has a website www.dickb.com and you can learn more about Dick's publications and um, his speaking tours and so forth. He is going to be giving seminars and uh, talks on the history of AA this fall here in the U.S. So you can have a look there to see what he's doing. So Dick, uh, thank you so much for telling us a lot about that interesting early history of AA and um, how serious they were about uh about their their spiritual search, and while they had those Christian roots, they also were exploring and so forth. They, it was fascinating. So, uh, Anna, you raised a very important point, uh, and I want to discuss it because it is important. Okay. Uh, but I want to preface it with this statement. <laughs> All right. And hold your breath. Okay. I was in the Boy Scouts. I was in the Rotary Club. I was in the United States Army. I went to Stanford Law School. I went to what some lovingly call berserkly uh, UC in Berkeley, and I never, I don't think I ever asked anybody what their religious beliefs were. I didn't care. Uh, I stood alongside of them. If I was in the Army, I was hoping the guy that next to me, whether he was an atheist or a Hindu, could shoot straight, and <laughs> he'd watch my back. Somehow... The idea that you can't associate with people of other viewpoints uh, has permeated AA and 12-step and treatment today to the point where it's become an anathema to talk about Christianity, whereas when I was in all of these organizations, including Alcoholics Anonymous, it never occurred to me to question whether somebody was a Hindu or a unity, or a new thought, or a shiatsu, or whatever they were. It didn't matter. What mattered to me was I was very, very sick. Didn't know it. Didn't understand the problem. Didn't realize what alcohol had done to my moral and and uh, life behavior and my health and my mind. 
But when you get into AA, the original focus, no matter what group you're in, is don't drink no matter what. Now, that doesn't offer much hope, but it's Mm -hmm. drummed into you. Just like in the Army, it's make sure you clean your rifle. It has nothing to do with religion. It has a lot to do with whether you're going to shoot straight or not. And so in AA, the focus is don't drink and go to meetings. That is not recovery. That is the inception of recovery. And without it, from the very beginning of AA, if somebody wasn't serious, if they didn't want to quit permanently, if they weren't going, willing to go to any lengths to get sober, they weren't in. Today, anybody's in. The parole officer, the judge, the treatment program, the counselor, they can send anybody they want. There is no screening at the front door. There's no membership roster like there used to be. So you may be sitting in a meeting next to all kinds of people of all kinds of belief, and in my case, I look for the newcomer. I don't care what he is. I go up to him. I get him a cup of coffee. I ask him who he is and where he came from and is he new, and I ask if he'd like me to sit with him at the meeting, and then I say I'd like to talk to you after the meeting. Then I ask him to tell me his story. We haven't said a word about Jesus or Hinduism or Bolshevism or anything else. I want to help that drunk. And if the people in recovery will realize that that hasn't changed a whit in terms of the focus, the the primary purpose of every group, says AA uh, literature, is to help the person who still suffers. Now, what did happen in 1939 is Bill got the idea that he was going to make millions by opening AA up and selling them this big book. They called it a big book so that people would buy it. They'd think there was something of substance in it. And so the door was open. Well, hallelujah. I don't have a problem with that. I never have had. I'm not interested in whether a person is a Roman Catholic or an Episcopalian. I'm interested in does he want to get well, does he realize how sick he is, and does he realize that the program... The early program, which is defined in the big book. The big book uses the word God 400 times. Uses the word higher power twice. Both times it says the higher, the power, which is God. Now, has that changed? It sure has. But the question is, did they eradicate Christianity? Answer, no. Uh, people who are Christians certainly number in the tens of thousands in AA. And they should be free to learn their own history and the history that showed the role that God and his son Jesus Christ in the Bible played in recovery and make that choice and feel comfortable. Because sooner or later, if you hang in there like I did, and it's coming up on 27 continuous years of sobriety, you might Mm-hmm. Your mind begins to return, and you ask yourself, what are they t- saying? Choose your own conception of a God. Read Psalm 115 and find out what the Bible has to say about that nonsense. You don't choose your own conception of God if you are a Jew or a Roman Catholic or a Christian. Hopefully, you choose it from God's Word, however you may interpret it or whatever version you may read. On the other hand, nobody is excluded from AA. And are you going to try to change AA to conform to the people who ought to be hearing what worked rather than making up their own conception of what worked? And almost any solid AA today will say, (laughs) take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth, sit down, shut up, and listen. Now, that sounds very harsh, but the fact is that if you're running around bewildered, forgetful, brain damaged like I was, if you're hearing the right information, that's exactly what you should do. The team on the field doesn't tell a coach how to win the football game. (laughs) The people that are shooting the hockey puck around uh, uh, the rink are not telling people how to play the game. They're learning how to play it. So I I felt what you said is very important. 
But I make no bones about the fact that we are trying very hard to give an accurate picture of what early AA, Christian as it was, was like and how successful it was. But not for a minute. I'm the guy that's still around. I'm still in AA. I'm still helping newcomers. A day never goes by that some mother doesn't call and say, my, my son is in prison or my daughter is drinking herself to death or my nephew has gotten eight DUIs. How can I help him? That's the focus. And that's something where your thoughts, my thoughts, the Bible, the power of God, when you had that little meditation, I liked it. Um, the ear of God, little children, have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And this concept of the presence and power and love of God in your life is critical. Now, if somebody wants to worship a chair, I don't have any problem with that. I went to the VA, uh, to a doctor that was really helping me, and I'd just written a, a large book on Reverend Sam Shoemaker and his role in AA. And the doctor looked at it, and he said, you used to be, have a mind that was pickled when you came in here. Did you write this book? I said, yeah, my mind has returned. He said, I can see that. And he said, but they say your, your higher power can be a chair. And I said, doctor, will you do me a favor? Get out of that chair that you're sitting in and join me on the floor on your knees, and let's pray to the chair. And he said, that's ridiculous. And as a former lawyer, I said, I rest my case. <laughs> in other words, would you rather read what Emmett Fox has to say or what some ding-dong who comes in through the doors and says, and they've done this to me many times, I'll say, do you believe in God? And they'll say, they say he can be a rock. Well, I just let that simmer for a while. And eventually, I say alcoholics may be sick, but they're not stupid. And so if somebody has a genuine belief in some other religion or no belief at all and he wants to get sober, he's welcome in AA. And boy, if I see him come in the door, he's going to get my help. But somewhere along the line, he's going to get a belly full of early AA history because it worked and rocks and chairs don't. Now, I just want to say this. You have to always ask yourself, where did these ideas come from? Well, we know now, because we spent many uh, years researching it, that there was a great awakening of 1875 in St. Johnsbury, Vermont, where Dr. Bob grew up. Mm -hmm. It changed the whole community. People were converted to Christ. And they didn't have the policemen there didn't have anything to do because the town had changed. Then came the wave of the great evangelists: Dwight Moody, Ira Sankey, F. B. Meyer, H. M. Moore, Alan Folger. All of them trying to help people get healed by the power of God. Then came the uh, the great movement of the Y. M. C. A. Brethren. They were non-denominational. That may well be where AA got its its tradition of uh, being focused on no denomination, not a matter of Christianity or church, just no denomination. Then came the rescue missions. A guy wandered in off the street. He wasn't given a litmus test as to what he believed. He was pointed to the altar, given some soup, and given some soap, and say, you're going to get well and we'll help you. Same thing with the Salvation Army. Now, this was the atmosphere in which AA founders grew up. There was no Oxford group. There was no big book. There were no 12 steps. And here's what there was. Congregational churches, Sunday school, parental influence, sermons, hymns, and Bible studies, revivals, prayer meetings, daily chapel, conversions to God through his son Jesus Christ, attending academies like St. Johnsbury, Burr and Burton, and Norwich Military Academy, quiet time, varied Christian literature, witnessing. Now, isn't that the kind of person you would want to be uh, if you were on your road to what I think you and I would agree is a, a wholeness, a healthy, a useful uh, life where you are devoted to serving God and others? 
And I Did, think I'll close our, it with that. Our, 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 time's, our time's up, time. unfortunately. Thank Dick, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we'll thank you, Dick, for being with us today. And we will be back next week with the Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your host, Dale Worley, is alive with the Spirit of God each Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Inspiration only takes a moment. Your friends at Unity invite you to reflect on these words from Rev. Jim Rosemurgy. Pause and take a deep breath. When you are ready, affirm silently to yourself. Sweet, sweet spirit, I desire a closer walk with you. Show me the way. I am listening. Take time now, in the silence, to get in touch with the spiritual guidance within you. Have faith that your next step, your unfolding, your spiritual growth, is coming to you in divine order through your spiritual instinct or your spiritual knowingness. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Good parenting doesn't happen by default. It's intentional. It's a decision about who you'll be and what you'll do in your family life. Join your hosts, Reverends Jennifer and Ogan Holder, each week for Unity Family Matters as they guide you on a spiritual journey, creating conscious family life. Experience the light side of parenting, realizing your divine identity while raising your children to know they are the light of God. Gain insights based on unity principles. Talk with today's prominent experts in spiritual parenting and address your questions and comments from spiritual perspectives. Unity Family Matters. Every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity Online Radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit Unity Online Radio and click on Mobile Listening. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.